Dear Father, as we come before you today, we come before you with, uh, with hearts which truly seek your instruction, with minds which truly want to know your thoughts. Uh, for we come to find out about a topic which is very real in our lives, which is a topic of money and success and wealth. And we pray that um, our hearts will be uh, softened and uh, be ready for instruction. Because all of us uh, truly need to keep being reminded of the place of money and wealth in our lives as we follow you and trust in Jesus. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, um, as I was preparing for this week's sermon, I was looking at my bookshelf for all the books on wealth that I could find. Now, you, you might surprise you because you know you think that being a pastor, I probably don't have many books on wealth. Uh, but, um, but actually, I do, I do have a few which I have to confess to. Um, anyway, so I found these books, uh, and uh, you, you can borrow them afterwards if you want. Okay, one of them is called The Millionaire Next Door, The Surprising Secrets of America's Wealthy, Your Wealth Building Years, okay. Wealth, an Owner's Manual. Now, I guess you could uh, say that uh, the theme that connects all those three books together is the topic of Wealth, right? Because they all have wealth in the, the title. Now, when I bought these books, I didn't have to uh, go to some far-flung corner of Borders or Kinokunia. They were sitting right up there in front, you know, where the, the, the shelf is when you come in. And obviously, the reason why they do that is because uh, for Kinokunia and Borders, they know that people are interested in wealth. They're interested in reading about wealth, about how to get wealthy, how to be wealthy, and how to... Remain wealthy. And uh, I guess there's a reason why these books sell so well. It's because people want to know about wealth. And I think that uh, as we come to the book of Proverbs, it's no different because the book of Proverbs tells us a lot about wealth and it's very uh, substantial and very important for us to know what God has to say about wealth, not just what this world has to say about wealth. And I think that as we look at what the Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, says about wealth, it may actually surprise us what it says apart from what the world thinks that Christians think about wealth. So if you follow on the outline, uh, if you have those uh, bulletins with you, I'm sure you all got one because Sengyun and Pokin would have given it to you. Uh, if you look at that and outline, it will be helpful for you to follow because actually there are a few points that I want to make. It's not just a three-point sermon, right? There are many, many points there. And if you follow on the outline, it will at least give you an idea of the many things that the book of Proverbs tells us about wealth. So the first thing, oh, I don't have my pointer. But anyway, the first thing that we can see, which is up here, is that the wise person in the book of Proverbs, generally gets wealthy, while the foolish person usually does not. So the first thing we see in chapter 10, verse 4, is that it says that lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Chapter 22, verse 4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Chapter 14, verse 24, the wealth of the wise is their crown, but the folly of fools yields folly. Now, there are many, many other Proverbs. As we go through uh, the sermon today, obviously I could have pulled a lot more other Proverbs that you may be aware of. I just pulled a few, representative few, just to get a flavor of what Proverbs is saying. But I think that as we look at Proverbs, as you, if you've done your Bible studies, you'll know that, that Proverbs does say that the wise person who lives diligently, who applies him or herself wisely, who lives in the fear of the Lord, generally all things being equal, will become wealthy. And I know that as Christians, we sometimes feel uncomfortable when we think about wealth in that way. 
But Proverbs is very clear that when, through the observation of life, if you live in a God-fearing, wise, diligent way, then you will accumulate wealth. And I think that that's true as we look at the world around us. So I remember speaking or hearing a pastor in Australia. Uh, he was uh, one of my first pastors and he used to work uh, with all sorts of people, including blue-collar people. And he said that uh, for some of the people that he ministered to, before they became Christian, they would spend their money on worthless things. They would go gambling, they would uh, go smoking, uh, they would drink, go drinking, they would do womanizing. And as a result, they were always living in poverty because as well as that, they wouldn't be able to keep their jobs because they wouldn't apply themselves to their jobs because they were always spending the money doing other things and they might be drunk and not turn up to, to the work in the next day. But after they became Christian, they would save their money, they would buy a house and they would spend it on their family and children, they would accumulate wealth, maybe they would spend their money going for further studies. And I think that's very true because another pastor which I heard just a few weeks ago said that in his experience, this was a British pastor, said that he remembers the first day that his father became a Christian. And he said that that was the day where they had meat in their house. Because before that, his father would always spend his money going to the pub on the way home and spend all his money on drinking and smoking and he would never have any meat at home. But the day that his father became a Christian, they finally had meat in their house. And I think it's very true, isn't it? As, as, you, as you adopt a Christian lifestyle, as you work diligently, as you're wise in the way that you handle money, then you can accumulate wealth. But the opposite can be true for, do not hold, for those who do not live wisely. So in chapter 20, verse 4, it says, A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks, but he finds nothing. In chapter 21, verse 17, He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. Chapter 21, verse 20, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Chapter 21, verse 5, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now you can see um, by all the things I've highlighted that these are the characteristics of those who do not live wisely. They have made foolish choices. So the sluggard is the, the person who is lazy, who during the right time, see that actually the book of Proverbs is very complicated. It always has the idea of doing the right thing at the right time. So the sluggard, he doesn't plow in season. He's not doing things at the right time. He's not applying himself at the right time. It's like, um, I'm sure or actually all the O-level children are studying downstairs now in the youth group. But, you know, it's like, I tell my son, no point studying after the O-levels, right? Because, you know, it's the wrong time. So, it's like, you know, the, the wise person applies themselves at the right time. Uh, the foolish person also loves pleasure. Uh, he devours all he has. So, rather than applying him or herself to work, they, they, they give themselves over to pleasure, and they find that they have no savings left. And uh, verse 5 of chapter 21 warns against haste. Now, what does it mean there in chapter 21, verse 5? See, I, I like uh, Proverbs because it really makes you think. So, why does haste lead to poverty, whereas the plans of diligent lead to profit? Now, here it speaks to people who have a lot of get-rich-quick schemes. You know, those, those things that, you know, you see like things on the news about people uh, trying to do all these shortcuts to get rich and, instead of being diligent. So, here, uh, the warning is against the foolish 
who instead of being diligent or working hard, they want to get rich, maybe by going to Marina Bay Sands or you know Resort World, you know, or some other scheme to, to to get rich quick. Okay, so for the people who queue up buying 4D, that is not a good investment. Right? Better to be diligent to save money. Now I think it's true because you know I was talking to my sister. Uh, actually, I have a lot of illustrations. Uh, basically in line with what we're saying here because it, it so applies to real life. Whenever I read these things, ideas just come to my head. My sister was telling me about how she works and her one of her assistants wears a Tag Heuer watch. But she doesn't earn very much. She just, you know, not, not a very high-ranking person at her workplace. So she said, how do you afford to, to pay for a Tag Heuer watch on your wage? And she said, well, you know what you do is you buy it on your credit card and then you spend the, the rest of the year paying it off. But that's really foolish behavior because it's just like loving pleasure, isn't it? It's like devouring all you have before you actually earn it. And not only that, because she's paying it off for the rest of the year, she's actually paying more for that Tag Heuer watch than it's actually worth. Uh, I remember when I was working in Australia, uh, at the end of the year, people used to take these long holidays. And some of my friends would... Uh, would spend the whole holiday in a caravan park in Australia next to the beach. And the caravan park is actually very cheap. Actually, I really enjoy the caravan parks. They're very cheap. You just get a very basic room, maybe a fan, maybe an aircon. But you know, it's just very basic. You, you have communal showers or so. But then the same colleagues of mine would also fly off to Europe and America every year. And, I'll, and when they come out, I say, how do you afford it, right? I mean, Aren't you earning the same as what everybody else is earning? How do you afford to go to America every year or Europe? And they say, well, you know, you just max out your credit card and then you spend the rest of the year paying it. And these are the same people. Uh, I remember this girl talking to me saying, you know, why do you need to buy insurance? You never get sick anyway, right? So it's that sort of idea where, you know, you just, you just enjoy now, but you never save for the future. So in 10, 20, 30 years down the road, who will be rich and who will be poor, who will be wealthy and who will not? It will be the one who is diligent and the one who saves. So Proverbs actually is very clear on that point. Uh, that the wise person will generally be wealthy, whereas those who do not live wisely will be, will be poor. And interestingly enough, Proverbs goes on to say that it is better to be wealthy than to be poor. So in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. And uh, in chapter 31, verse 21, where it speaks about the woman, the very wise woman, the, the wife to be desired, it says, when it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. Now, two points are made here, right? So, the wealth of the rich is compared to a fortified or a strong city. So the picture here, or the metaphor here, is that money or wealth can be a source of security in this life. It can be a defense against the dangers and difficulties of life. Uh, it's true. If you are wealthy, if you're rich, if you have medical problems, you can be protected from them because you can pay for your surgery or whatever else. If uh, housing prices go up, you can still find shelter because you can afford it. Uh, all these things, wealth affords protection. Whereas the poor, because they have no money, is, it is their ruin. They cannot overcome these difficulties in life. The, the, they cannot navigate these problems in life. 
The same thing is said about the, the woman uh, in chapter 31. Now, you can imagine that uh, in Israel, uh, not all of us have been in Israel, but when you think of Israel, what do you think of? You do not think of the ski slopes of Switzerland, right? You think of a hot country. So it rarely ever snows. It maybe only snows once in a while up in the hill, hill country in, in, in Israel. But yet, the wise woman is able to face the unexpected without fear because she has wealth. So what it's actually saying here is that wealth is better than poverty. In relative terms, given a choice of being wealthy or poor, you should choose wealth. Now, that might be very strange, isn't it? Because I always thought before I became a Christian that, you know, Christians have this aversion to money and wealth. That, uh, you know, I always thought that, oh, you, you know, you go to a church to hear about money or wealth and you always hear that, okay, all money is bad. Or you, maybe you go to church and hear about the sermon of wealth and you think, give all your money to church. Maybe you combine the two. All money is bad, so give all your money to church, right? Okay, so you combine the two. Or, you know, you sometimes have this idea that the church has this romantic view of poverty. That, you know, somehow poverty inherently has a more religious connotation to it. Better to be poor. But Proverbs actually doesn't have that view, isn't it? Because here it says, if you are rich because you are diligent, you are wise, you are honest, you are God-fearing, then you should give thanks to God. Because, uh, the next slide, okay, because wealth is, on relative terms, better than poverty. And I think that's what Proverbs makes very clear. Given a choice, you should choose wealth over poverty. But then, unfortunately, there are some limitations or problems with wealth. So if you look at the outline, uh, this is the limitations of bad news part. And the first of the problems of wealth is that the wise do not always get wealth. The diligent do not always get rich. Those who are God-fearing do not always uh, get material things. So if you look at the, the references up here, in chapter 13, verse 23, it says, A poor man's field may produce abundant fruit, but injustice sweeps it away. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose way is perverse. Now, the nature of Proverbs is that uh, the proverb looks at reality it doesn't give you an idealistic worldview. It's not a dream world. It doesn't sugarcoat reality. But this is what reality is really like. And Proverbs sees the reality of a fallen world. A world where there is injustice, where there is corruption, where there is evil, a society where there is wickedness, where there is uh, unjust behavior. And in those terms, there may be factors which lead a person to not be wealthy, even though they are diligent, they fear God, and they are wise in the way they live. Now, I think that's true in many countries, or I'm sure you can think of many countries in our, around our region, where if you live in a diligent, wise, and honest, God-fearing way, you may not become wealthy. The Bible itself uh, portrays that to be true uh, at different periods. So, I want to show you three, time, three periods okay, in, uh, in, uh, in Christian history. So, here was uh, before... Uh, the birth of Jesus in the book of Luke. I'm sure you remember this. And Mary, the, uh, Jesus' mother, was praying to God before the birth of Jesus. And this is what um, Mary says of God. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. Now, let us remember that Jesus was born in a period where there was wickedness and injustice, and where the pious, God-fearing Jewish person may not always have been rich. They may have been poor and hungry. The people who were really rich during the birth of Jesus was people like King Herod, a very wicked and evil man who killed John the Baptist, an innocent person, even though he didn't do anything wrong. So in those days, you would profit. You would get ahead in life by being unjust and being wicked. John the Baptist said the same thing, right? Uh, John the Baptist was ministering uh, about the time before Jesus was born. I mean, sorry, after Jesus was born, but it was around that time, right? And the tax collectors also came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, be content with your pay. So if you're a tax collector and you're a soldier and you decide to become a Christian, and uh, you, sorry, you decide to believe in God and wait for the Messiah, then it would mean that you would be less wealthy than those who did not come to John the Baptist. If you're a soldier and you didn't extort people, you would be poorer than your colleagues who extorted money. So being a Christian didn't mean, oh sorry, being a, God, uh, a follower of God doesn't mean that uh, you actually will become wealthy. It actually mean that you become relatively poorer. In the book of James chapter 2, same thing it says to Christians during those times, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? So here the situation is quite clear. If you are a Christian and you live in a, in a society which is hostile to Christians, then even more, if you choose to live wisely in a God-fearing way, following Jesus, you may not get rich, you may not get wealthy, you may be very poor. And I think that that's the problem that uh, the, the prosperity gospel has with the book of Proverbs. Because the prosperity gospel says that when you become a Christian, you will be rich. Uh, the mantra is, God wants you to be rich, God wants you to succeed, God wants you to be wealthy. But God does not give any such guarantees. In fact, if you look very long and hard at the book of Proverbs, being a faithful Christian actually may mean that you will not get rich. You will deny yourself wealth. Now, I have a friend of mine who lives in Kuala Lumpur, and uh, he actually preaches at the same church that Sweet Thing. You remember Sui Teng? Sui Teng is in KL. So, my friend who was in university, Cheryl and myself, he's at the same church as Sui Teng. He preaches there occasionally and he's an architect. And I remember asking him a few years ago how his business was doing in KL. And uh, he said, oh, well, you know, my business is only so-so. I said, why is it only so-so, right? He said, well, part of the problem is he doesn't bribe officials so that he can get jobs. So he doesn't win the government jobs. 
But the second problem is that he's unwilling to get, go to bring his clients to the karaoke bars and introduce them to hostesses and drink lots and lots of alcohol with them. So he also has trouble winning the private contracts. So not only does he have trouble winning the government contracts, he has trouble winning the private contracts. So in a sense, it is very hard for him to, to get money and wealth. Because for him, it is more important to be God-fearing and faithful and righteous and wise than to become wealthy. Now, given what we've heard in the book of Proverbs, then does that mean that uh, it is wise then to live in a God-fearing way? Because obviously, wealth is more important than poverty, right? So we, we learned that up here. Alright, so wealth is, being wealthy is better than poverty. So isn't my friend in KL, the architect, shooting himself in the foot by being God-fearing and righteous and not paying bribes and not going drinking and introducing hostesses to uh, his, his uh, potential clients? No. Because Proverbs also goes on to say that it's better in relative terms to be godly and God-fearing than to be wealthy. So think of it in relative terms, okay? It is better to be wealthy than poor, but it's better to be faithful and God-fearing and righteous than wealthy. So it's a relative thing. Each, each thing must be seen in its relative context, not its absolute context. Why is that? Well, you can see this in the next set of passages. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16, it says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver? 16.16 Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Now here we have uh, four proverbs, and you notice they are the same type of proverbs. Okay? Actually, if you look at proverbs, there are different types of proverbs. Some of them are parallel, some of them are con contrasting. But here we have a set of four better than proverbs. And better than proverbs always speak of things in relative terms. If you have a choice of doing two things, it's always better to do one rather than the other. So it's very clear here, better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth. Better to have wisdom and understanding than gold or silver. Better to be blameless and poor rather than rich and perverse. Now, that is one of the limitations isn't it, of, of, of wealth. Wealth can give security, it can help you in this life, but better to be godly and wise and righteous. Now why is that? Why is it better to be fearing God and righteous and living blamelessly than to be pursuing wealth? Well, the first thing as you see in the outline is Wealth has limited value. It, it has only got currency, to avoid the pun, right, in this life. Okay, so the next slide. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, the Proverbs have been very clear that wealth can be a blessing from God, can be a positive, but the, the positive protection or security of wealth is only limited. It is worthless in the day of wrath. It is worthless in death. 
Now, what is this day of wrath? What is the meaning of the day of wrath? If you just read the book of Proverbs, the day of wrath could mean the day where God is angry, so, you know, a rock falls on you. Or, you know, uh, the day of wrath where something unfortunate happens to you, where you die. But if you read Proverbs in light of the whole canon of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, then the day of wrath is actually the day of judgment, the afterlife. So in Romans chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 6, the day of wrath is always seen as a, a day of judgment where God pours out His anger on you or on people. So Romans chapter 2 says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. Revelation chapter 6. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So the Bible is very clear that God has set aside a certain day, the day of wrath, where judgment will come. And on that day, wealth is worthless. Isn't that what it says? Oh, sorry, it's the previous uh, slide, right? But wealth is worthless on that day. What are you going to do on the day of God's wrath? Are you going to bring two suitcases of money? Give it to God? See, God is not that sort of judge, isn't it? God is not someone who can be bought or bribed. He will judge faithfully and your wealth is of no consequence on that day. So in light of the day of God's wrath, losing all your money and losing all your wealth is not the worst thing that can happen to you, is it? In light of the day of God's wrath, making more and more money and owning lots and lots of jets is not the best thing in the world that can happen to you too. Because the most important day is the day of God's wrath. And getting past that day is the most important thing in life. And the only way you can do that is to be righteous and know the name of the Lord. Now, uh, since you're all falling asleep a bit, why don't you all look at John chapter 3, verse 36. I didn't put it up there. I only thought of it this morning. John 3, verse 36. John 3, verse 36 in your Bibles. Okay. And I'll read it from uh, the latest NIV version. John 3, 36. Which says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So what is the most important thing? It is not wealth, but it is knowing Jesus and living a righteous and godly life before Him. Because if you don't do it, then God's wrath will still remain on you. On the day of God's wrath, you will receive judgment. So money is not the most important thing. It is following Jesus and being godly. Now the problem is, and this is a very strong problem, and this is the next point in the outline, is that wealth gives false hope. Proverbs recognizes that that wealth is very seductive and money gives you the illusion that it can protect and save you even beyond this life. So in uh, Proverbs chapter 18, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it. 
an unscalable wall. So the contrast here, actually problems are very interesting, right? Is that the name of the Lord is safety. They are safe there. But the wealthy think, they imagine their fortified city is impregnable, but it is only in their imagination. So what happens is, if you use wealth as a strong tower, you put your hope in it, it becomes an idol for you, you put your trust in it, then it is only your imagination that gives you any assurance that you'll be safe when you die. It will give you security in this life. You'll be able to get medical treatment, the best medical treatment. You can go to Mount Elizabeth, right? But you will still die and you will still face judgment and it will not protect you all this wealth of yours. Only, only the name of the Lord can protect you. Now, I think that's very true and I think this is where the rubber hits the road for us and I want to challenge us. Where do you put your hope in? This has wealth seduced you or given you a false hope? Uh, a pastor was uh, sharing about how he went on a mission trip uh, and I won't tell you where it is, but uh, when you go on a mission trip, you stay in a hotel, uh, not a hotel, you stay uh, and visit another church and the church pastor said, oh, you know, you would be better off doing your evangelism further away from the ocean. So he said, why is that? Okay, well, don't worry, you find out yourself, the pastor said. Anyway, so they went evangelizing all the houses and sure enough, they had more success sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people further away from the ocean than the people closer to the ocean. Why is that? Is it because ocean-loving people don't like Jesus? Is it because, you know, the sea breeze makes people resistant to the gospel? No, it's because those living closer to the sea are richer and wealthier. Right? Uh, they have all the nice houses in Sentosa Cove, right? With the swimming pools and the tennis courts, you know, the big houses. And they put their hope on their wealth, whereas those who were living further away were more open to the gospel because they didn't have their hope on wealth. Now, I think that's very true generally. Um, when I started my first job and I no longer had to rely on my parents, I remember a great sense of liberation. Uh, you know, you see your money building up in your bank account, you feel this sense of independence and self-sufficiency. And the more and more you have, sometimes the less and less you rely on God. And I'm sure this happened to all of us. You know, we sort of felt that feeling where, you know, you have lots of money, you feel very independent, very strong. And I've seen uh, Christian friends of mine who used to go to university with me now who are not Christians because they are so confident in their wealth. They are so strong in their wealth. I remember meeting this Chinese uh, businessman in Australia and he said to me, uh, this was when I was volunteering to be a ministry apprentice in Australia, and he said, oh, I used to be like you. When I was your age, I also uh, was a ministry apprentice. I was thinking of becoming a pastor one day. And I, and I looked at him and said, what happened to you now? Do you still go to church? No, I don't. You know, he had sort of moved away. He, so here was a person who once considered becoming a pastor, and now he had no longer got, gone, going to church. He had a very big car, very big house, very successful children, goes on overseas holidays. But all those things had taken him away from putting his hope in God anymore. It had become an idol to him. So, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is very clear. He says that money is such a danger that it can become an idol and that you can start worshipping instead of God. 
No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So my challenge to you today is, given a choice, would you rather choose to do the blameless, righteous, God-fearing, Jesus-following thing? Or would you choose wealth, money, or success? Okay, given a choice, which would you choose? So anyway, obviously, it's too abstract for you or you all to say that you choose God, right? So I thought that uh, I will use some real-life illustrations. Uh, I bought this book at a second-hand bookshop. I think it was only three or four dollars. It was very good value. How good people make tough choices. So I'm going to ask you some tough, difficult questions. So let me ask you this question. Okay, in your last field of study, don't know what it is, right, for some of you. When you studied the last time, did you ever cheat on a test or a major assignment at least once in your undergraduate year or your, you know, whatever time you're studying? Because in America, apparently they did a survey of 31 colleges and universities and uh, lawyers, 63% of them said they cheated. Okay, the lowest was teachers, only 57%. Medical school, 68%. And the highest was graduate school of business, 76%. Okay, so ask yourself a question, have you done that before? Have you cheated? Why did you cheat? Because you wanted to get ahead. I want to get you know further ahead. So let me ask you another question. Think seriously, okay? If you could do an illegal deal, get caught, tried and convicted, serve a three-year prison sentence, and emerge with $500 million, would you do it? So, okay, if you do something illegal, serve three years, come up $500 million, would you do it? Or apparently... Three out of five business students said they would. Okay. Would you, um, would you tell a lie uh, if, to, to, or deliberately withhold information for your health insurance or car insurance in order to pay less premium? Would you? To save money? Well, only 77%, 77% of Americans said they would. Okay, what would you honestly be willing to do for $10 million for just something? What would you be willing to do? Something illegal for $10 million. Would you be willing to be a loan shark? Vandalize someone's car? Okay, let me tell you what uh, this survey said. 25% said they would abandon their family. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. And 7% said they would be willing to kill a stranger. Okay, so you must avoid one out of ten Americans. Okay, so think about it for a second. If you, if you were tempted to say yes for any of those questions, then you must ask yourself, well, why isn't it? Is it because wealth and money are more important than you than following Jesus? That somehow you've forgotten about the day of God's wrath. So therefore, you can see here that wealth can be a trap and a snare. So what's the solution? What's the answer? Well, in chapter 30, verse 7 to 9, this is what uh, the person, the Proverbs person says, or the next one? Yeah, this one. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you, or say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So what's the solution? His solution is that he doesn't want to have so much that he disowns God and says, Where is God, isn't it? And the solution for him is, Give me enough only for my daily bread. Let me, be, let me have sufficient, but not so much that I forget God. It's very interesting because 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, which uh, Andrew read to us, has exactly the same idea. So, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. See, same idea as Proverbs chapter 30. Right? They disown God and so they, they wander from the faith and they pierce themselves with many griefs. Now this word grief here is a very strong, powerful word. It's the same word which is used when Jesus' parents thought that they lost him when they, he was in the temple. It is the same word which is used when the Ephesian elders heard that they would never see Paul again. It is the same word that is used to describe Lazarus, or the rich man when he speaks to Lazarus uh, in hell. So, the word grief here literally means deep, deep pain. Right, so, if you wander away from Jesus because of wealth, you experience deep, deep pain. And what's the solution? The same solution. It says, if we have food and clothing. Now, clothing here is not just the clothes on your back, but the idea of shelter, food and covering. So if you have clothes, bed, food, a roof over your head, be contented with that. That's what 1 Timothy is saying. And I think that's a challenge for us. So all of us here, I presume, have food. You all look well fed. You all have clothing. Good. right? I'm sure that you all have a roof over your head, most of you. So then the question is, is there a time where there is too much money and too much wealth in your life where you have now put your hope and your security on your wealth rather than on God. Is wealth now becoming an idol, an obstacle to your faith? Now, if that's the case, then we must take to heart what the book of Proverbs tells us. That we cannot then have too much. We have, decide, we have now had too much and wealth is becoming an obstacle to us. You know, then we have to say enough is enough. Maybe we, we need, there's a time where we have to say we need less wealth. That's a very counter-cultural thing, right? No one ever says we need less wealth. But maybe you need less wealth because rather than jeopardizing heaven for the sake of more wealth, better have less wealth and be contented with what you have. Now, one of the problems that we have is that whenever we are asked to give up something, we do so very grudgingly. Uh, I was reading this book called You Can Change. And he says that Part of the problem of why we fail to change is because we have failed to understand that God always wants us to have a good life. So do you think that God always wants you to have a good life? If you do, then say Amen, right? Okay, no, no charismatic church, so no one say Amen, right? Say Amen, right? And God's instructions for us are always good news. Do you believe that? God is always wanting to tell you good news. It's good for you. So when he says you need less wealth, it is good news for you and it is for our good. But do you really believe that? 
Or do you sort of feel, ah, God's taking away my stuff again, you know, he's a killjoy. But it is good news if God wants you to have less wealth, if you have too much and it's stifling your faith. So, when you consider the idea of wealth and you reflect on it, is it truly a blessing for you or is it a snare and a stumbling block? As we've learned today, wealth is better than poverty. But wealth can never be more important than your walk in Christ and your faithfulness and godliness. If it is, then it's time to reassess your wealth and maybe have less. I was having a conversation with my son last week and we were talking about the prospect of hell. And he said that hell, given that it lasts for eternity, is too horrible to wish on anybody else, even Adolf Hitler. And I was thinking, well, maybe that's true, isn't it? That hell is so bad that you don't want to wish it even on Adolf Hitler. But if you agree that hell is so bad that you don't want to wish it on Adolf Hitler, then how much more maybe you need to give up some wealth if it's going to jeopardize your eternity and you might be risking yourself in hell. So do you believe that God is really wanting the best for you? That it is good news for you? That you maybe, if wealth is a problem for you, then you need a little bit less wealth and you need to be content with bread, you need to contend with food and covering. Because as long as you have that and you have your daily bread, that's what we pray for, right? The Lord's Prayer. We pray for your daily bread. Why is that? Because God doesn't want wealth to be an obstacle in our life to our relationship to Jesus. So let's make sure that it's not an obstacle to our life to Jesus. So let's make sure that we use wealth as a tool rather than letting wealth use us. Let's go to God and pray. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to have the right and godly view of money and wealth, that it is a good blessing, better to be wealthy than poor, better to have the security of money to navigate the difficulties of this life. At the same time, help us to see that it is much better, much, much better by far to have a relationship with you, to be in Jesus Christ, to be godly and wise and God-fearing and trusting in your name rather than to be wealthy. Help us to see the ultimate reality of the day of your wrath and to realize that on that day, all our money, all our goods and possessions, all our cars and houses, they all count for nothing. They will only be fit for the fire on that day. And dear Father, we pray that as we see the reality of the day of judgment, that we will never exchange our walk in Jesus, we will never exchange Jesus for money or wealth, that we will be always using wealth and thanking you for it, but never making it our God. Dear Father, for those of us who struggle with wealth and money, help us to have the wisdom that is given to us in the book of Proverbs, that perhaps we need less wealth, that because it's become an obstacle in our life, help us to rely on less, that if we have food and covering, we will be content with that. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.